0: Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. This episode is sponsored by Epsilon. Today, I'm delighted to announce a unique opportunity for one lucky listener of Let's Talk Loyalty, to enjoy a complimentary workshop with the loyalty experts at Epsilon. One brand every month will have the chance for a unique, independent loyalty lab, a review of your loyalty program, where Epsilon will share their expert ideas how to drive your program's performance to a whole new level. This workshop is a powerful way for you to measure and then increase the return on your investment in your loyalty program. So to apply, head over to letstalkloyalty.com forward slash epsilon and enter your details. Hello and welcome to episode 285 of Let's Talk Loyalty. An episode dedicated to the importance of measuring and optimizing your email campaigns in order to further drive your customer loyalty. My guest has a background running loyalty programs for some of the best-known retailers in Scandinavia. And through that, he realized how much more could be achieved by leveraging both artificial intelligence and machine learning to understand the impact of every single variable in every single email campaign. His approach is taking email analytics way beyond the basics of personalization, segmentation and A-B testing that we all know and love. With digital marketing becoming increasingly expensive and first party data growing in importance, it really makes sense to find ways to leverage the latest analytical techniques to optimize your email newsletters. Joining me to discuss the topic and share some of the latest drivers of success in email newsletters is Sandra Vassas, a partner at CPM Analytics in Oslo in Norway. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So, Sandre, welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty.
1: Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you.
0: Great. I know you're a loyal listener of the show. So first of all, I want to say thank you and acknowledge that.
1: Yeah, I think I was part of the the third show or something like that. So since then, I've been receiving your newsletters and uh, listening to your show almost every week. So it's been great.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. And I know newsletters is a subject close to your heart and specifically the reason that we're meeting here today to share some, I think, very unique insights in terms of the impact of communications on driving customer loyalty. So before we get into all of this very interesting topic, let's start with our usual opening question. And please do tell me, what is your favorite loyalty program or even programs?
1: Oh, you know, I've been part of so many programs so, over the years and uh, it's hard to choose from. But actually right now, if I could say my favorite today is uh, actually Duolingo. I don't know. Do you know the sort of education app?
0: I do know Duolingo. Absolutely. Yes, yes. It's uh, it's for learning another language, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. So I know it comes in a free version as well, but uh, we bought the subscription from my family. So actually I have my wife and I have my kids in there as well, uh, so we sort of have a friendly family competition. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing I really like about it is they are really good at motivating you to continue to sort of train and exercise in a different language and that's sort of been the challenging part, at least for me when it comes to learning languages, is that you don't practice enough. But I think that they are really, really good. So they have a lot of these leaderboards, the tiers levels that you have, can go and they're also very good at reminding you that it's only five minutes a day to improve your language skills, and uh, nice. I think I'm on my day 85 now on my streak, so I don't want to okay. m- miss either. So it's really good. So uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to be fluent in any languages, but it's definitely going to help me during vacations and things like that, and understand a little bit of reading, and then talk a little bit with locals and stuff like that. So that would be fun.
0: So tell us what language are you learning because I I do love the fact that as a Norwegian it's almost like English is your own first language as well because you guys speak it so well.
1: Yeah, thank you. But <laughs> uh, yeah, the the sort of the third language then that I'm trying to learn is uh, Spanish. Yes. Uh, so uh, I'm not going to talk in Spanish here now, but no. uh, it, the thing is uh, it's just really fun. And, okay. and that's about it because I, I remember you know when you, you were younger and you were learning language at school
0: yeah
1: it was not the most interesting subject that you had in your school right so but uh duolingo they've done a really good job of actually making it very interesting and just keep keep working at it and see small and small improvements in
0: yeah yeah and, and you've reminded me, honestly, yes, I have been very remiss myself. Um, you know, I do need to uh, to learn and practice and really polish my French because um, it is my husband's first language. And I need to be able to obviously speak to the family a lot more than having him translating everything back and forth. So you're right. Five minutes a day. We all can make that much time as a priority. So well done, Duolingo. And I like that idea that you mentioned as well. Of it's one thing to have gamification, but actually to have gamification within the family, I think that makes it. Um, yeah, the, the, there's almost like this um, this wonderful sense of you know it's a shared experience. So yes. I think when we think about loyalty, there's something in that which uh, which is very powerful. So uh, so that's wonderful. Now I think you mentioned you had a second favorite loyalty program as well, Sandra, didn't you?
1: Yeah, and I guess it's kind of similar, but it's called the Swift. So Swift for that is, is like a training app. Uh, so I like go biking. So yeah. actually you can put your bike um, uh, on sort of a, like a spinner. Okay. And then it sort of helps you with gamification of your exercise as well. Mm. And then you can sort of exercise against other people and you can do specific routes and things like that. And they're really good at sort of giving you health data and stuff like that back as well. Okay. Uh, and that's really good for me because uh, I sort of need the extra push when it comes to exercise. <laughs> <Not>
0: <laughs> Definitely.
1: To come yep. exercising, So whenever someone can give me a push, that's really good. Okay. And but I will also say that things that I like about both these things is that they sort of reinforce sort of the why of why you're part of that program. Sure. So, It's not about sending financial incentives or anything like that. It's just, okay, but I want to learn to read Spanish. And they're really good at sort of motivate me doing that. And the same thing, I want to do exercise. And they're really good at motivating me to do exercise as well. So that's the most important thing.
0: Fantastic! Yes. Well, as we know, it's all about driving behavior change. And in an ideal world, it should be behavior change that benefits everybody. So definitely sounds like both of those apps are doing exactly that. So listen, I know you are extremely passionate about loyalty. It's been something you've been um, working on since I think your university days. So maybe share with us, first of all, a little bit about your expertise, because you have done some incredible work um, already in your career in terms of building programs and making sure to run them at scale across I think all of the Nordics from what you've told me. Um, so yeah I'm very keen to understand that before we get into this whole topic about communication so do share with the audience your whole kind of loyalty background.
1: Yeah so yeah as I said I started already on my master thesis where I was looking at the buyer-seller relationships and the length of them and uh, I was lucky so I was immediately went into sort of the e-gaming business where you have a lot of customer data. Yeah. And in the e-gaming business as well, you know that your competitor is only one click away. So it's really important that you use the data you have, gaining the understanding of the needs of your customers. And then, as you say, try to communicate and do the behavioral change. Mm -hmm. I had the ability to do that and I launched uh, a few different uh, loyalty program programs. in the Nordics for Librox, but also globally for a poker brand, actually. That was called Everest Poker. Okay. So, uh, and, but also in the retail uh, industry, I've been part of uh, Circle K. Uh, You might have heard, like a large fuel and convenience retailer.
0: Of course, yes, yes. They've been a guest on the show. And I know our our mutual friend, Mats Danielson. also, you worked with. So I want to give a shout out to Mats as well while we're talking.
1: Yeah, yeah, i worked with uh, Matt since many, many years. This almost 10 years ago now, so time flies. But,
0: Indeed.
1: Uh, yeah, so I was part of uh, building that loyalty program uh, from, from scratch and also been lucky enough to run it for quite a number of years as well. Mm. So we actually then did the seven different markets in the Nordics, the Baltics, and Poland.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: So uh, I think we were like four or five million uh, active customers at the end. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and I also did the same for XXL, which is a large sports and outdoor retailer in the Nordics. Mm. So what I would say is that what's the fun thing is that I always sort of, I've been enthusiastic and I've been really motivated working in the intersection, so between customer communication, analytics, analytics, um, and technology and to me that sums up loyalty quite good
0: because totally. we work a lot
1: with technology we work with okay
0: yeah
1: uh, i need to have the data and understand the customer needs yeah and get that insight for them to communicate with the customers to understand what drives their behavior and can yeah. affect their, their behavioral change for sure um uh, so yeah that's been sort of my that has been my passion for 20 years now, uh, and it's been a fantastic journey. Mm. But now I'm a little bit on the other side again, because now I want to focus much more on the analytical part. So totally. So there's so much data out there. Yeah. Having a hard time sort of utilizing all the data, but with the new tools and everything that's available now, it's so much fun that we can do with the customer data that we do have.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think what fascinate, fascinated me when you reached out, Sandra, was, you know, this whole idea that I think there is so much awareness and appreciation of the power of particularly email marketing. um. But it seems that perhaps you guys are one of the first to have this depth of analytics into, you know, the actual wording, the layouts, the formatting. So some of the, I suppose, expertise around email marketing is very well established, but I feel like you guys are taking it to the whole next level. So will you talk us through, first of all, why are you focusing on email? I sometimes think that brands tend to think it's, you know, email marketing has been around for 20 years now and maybe it's been taken over by social media or, you know, lots of other forms of communication. So, why is it that you're focusing on email particularly?
1: Well, I feel like email is that it comes and goes in waves uh, and it has this lot of highs and a little bit of lows, but right now it's becoming very, very important again for companies. So we see, for our point of view, a very high demand on understanding more on the effect of emails. And it comes from, I think most of us agree that it's the most profitable marketing channel that you do have. Yeah. So if looking at sort of profitability and sort of the environment that we are in and going towards now, which we know is gonna to be tougher for a lot of companies you sort of you need to sort of squeeze the last thing out of the lemon, yeah. To that you stay profitable. Yeah. And at the same time, what you also experience is that all digital marketing are becoming much more expensive. So if you look at the Google, the Facebook, the Snapchat, the TikTok, etc., yeah, they're all sort of increasing their prices. Mm-hmm. So when you combine these two, we see a lot of effort now going back into email marketing, making sure that they can sort of generate the most effect out of their existing customers as possible. Yeah. So that's why what we actually, we are a company called now CPM Analytics. So CPM stands for Customer Portfolio Management. So we work with customers and we work mm-hmm. with analytics and we have been working a lot with sort of text and image analysis for a lot of our customers. Well, lately we're sort of focusing a lot about uh, the email marketing as well because I think that we all we all have the feeling and we think that it's important to have a good text and a good copy and it's important that the design is good. But what is the effect of having a good copy and a good design? Mm. That's something that I don't think anyone sort of have been able to analyze and um, give us answers to previously. So what we now are doing is that for our clients, and we, we have numerous clients here in the Nordics now, that what they're doing is that they're sending us their last two, three, four years of email data. Mm-hmm. And we are doing then a full text image analysis of all the data that they have previously done. And we find some very, very interesting information about mm. how the different emails actually work and what doesn't work
0: uh, mm.
1: when it comes to when it comes to sort of the text that they put in, and it's I think as well when we present the results, uh, most of them sort of get a little bit blown away. But at the same time, they said to us, ah, "But we we had it somehow in our gut feel that this was a challenge that we had, but we never been able to sort of put into any analytics." So uh I think it's a great product now and we see that there's a lot of a lot of organizations out there are looking for it. So yeah. It's within retail, it's within university, it's been within hospitals, it's everyone is sort of asking for, for this type of analysis, which is fine.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's good to hear that, you know, I suppose the the gut instinct is there. You're building on that by, I suppose, delivering ideas and insights that do seem to be blowing their minds. And we're going to talk through some of those. But even just to go back to your point as well, Sandra, about you know, the market size for email is is only continuing to grow. You oh, shared yeah. with me. It's what it's it's 15% annual growth rate still compounding. So were you surprised that, that it's still continuing to grow at that scale, given how mature it is as, as a marketing tool?
1: Yes, but also at the same time, no, because now we're getting all these machines that helps up with sort of the automations, the personalization, the segmentations. Yeah. And we're starting to be even better at proving the value of the newsletter. So I think that the value had probably always been there. Yeah. But sometimes it got forgotten by Google came with their sort of analytical tool and we started looking at all the social media. And what they were really good at was they were good at showing the value mm. of having your ads on platforms. But now exactly. the, email the email tools as well,
0: yeah, much
1: more sophisticated in this area, and when you now start to compare, we see when we do our analysis that email can be up to forty times, forty times more profitable than social media.
0: My God! And that's
1: massive when you have a lot of companies now sort of searching for any revenue, any business that they can get. Yeah, and of course, it's forty times more. Profitable than just making small adjustments mm. will make a huge mence. So, yeah, it's definitely on a high right now. <laughs> I think also the numbers were, it's 15% annual growth rate, but they're also estimating that it will soon become $20 billion industry.
0: My goodness, my goodness. And I think you're right. I do think there has been some things that are very well understood that... Um, you know, I guess because it is relatively mature, I think we all know that our click-through rates and our open rates are important metrics. And I do think we've, we've all done plenty of work on personalization and the automation and the testing. So will you talk us through, I suppose, the parts that you're focused on in terms of your analytical piece that you don't think has been researched to this extent before that's driving these mind-blowing insights for your clients?
1: Yeah, So what we're looking at, pretty much if you're looking at a newsletter or an email, it's three key components that you do have. Mm-hmm. So you sort of have the messaging and the content, mm-hmm. which very often you will then say is text. Yeah, you have the sign, the mm-hmm. sign sort of how you are using images mm-hmm. that you put into the email. Mm-hmm. And then what we call them functional variables, that sort of when do I want to send it? To whom uh, do I want to send the uh, email? So if you look at these three, we can then go into looking at further into the messaging and content. And then we start deciphering and looking at, okay, but what is the topic of the newsletter? And then it's machine learning, mm-hmm. finding out the topic of the, uh, of the email. Are the mm. specific words in the subject lines that sort of trigger words mm-hmm. that sort of have any effect? Uh, on it. And um, we can do all different kinds of things uh, as well. And looking at the variation of the contact, how complex is it to read? You know, someone writes very well, it's simple uh, emails as almost like a child book. Okay. Others do much more complicated emails, which is more uh, like a textbook. Mm-hmm. Does that matter? And what is great with these things is that it's almost always a variation of how you write so you don't write the same thing every week so Mm -hmm. how you write will differ and for all of us doing analytics we love variation that's sort of what we find results from so um i can go through a few of the examples of findings later but a lot of interesting things there so if that's sort of the content and messaging part yeah we also look at the design part and there we also use um, artificial intelligence as well mm. where and the machines actually then start to read the images so it mm-hmm. actually says, okay here we have a face here we don't have a face. Here is a happy expression or a neutral expression. Yeah. And you, can see that it's a, it's a, you can see the age of the person we can look at the gender of the person person, etc. And in what kind of environment the person is in as well. And then yeah. we start does that matter when it comes to the effect of the email? And that's super interesting. Yeah. Finding out that, okay, if you have actually findings that we have for our client, was that female generally performed better in an image than men. So pictures matter, of women.
0: Yeah. 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 It
1: doesn't matter if it was men or women that opened an email. Okay. Still perform better. Interesting. And that's super interesting for them to know because
0: without
1: that information, it might be coincidence with type of images that you're using. But now we can say, actually, you should have more women. They should have a happy expression, not a neutral one. Okay. Because that also has an effect. Yeah. And then what else we would say is that we, we call it effect analysis. And that's because we look at all these variables at the same time. So to find if it's significant, the findings that we do have. So an example that just gonna, that's sort of very easy to understand is that we found that uh, the word, um, you know, week, as in a weekday, to be very promising trigger word. Okay. But then when we looked at all the other variables, we found that, okay, but that word happened very often at the end of November. Okay. And you know why?
0: Mm, no, tell me. Black week. Okay, coming up to... Yes, yes, of
1: course. So, <laughs> emails sent during black week perform yeah. better, but that's because of season, yeah. not because of the word week. Okay. So, uh, And that's what we then can show to them as well, is that it's not uh, sort of only bivariate analysis, where you look at sort of one factor against another we look Mm. at all the different factors at the same time to find out which one is significant so when we come back to the customers
0: yeah
1: with a, a great deal of confidence tell them you need to do more of this and less of that and that's very interesting
0: for sure. Oh, well, you've definitely got a bigger analytical brain than me, Sandra. I mean, I, I love the, the insights, the fact obviously that you're using the latest technology, artificial intelligence and machine learning. And again, I suppose with my own much more limited expertise, let's say an experience, we would probably only have done like A-B testing. So again, we would have understood that there was important differences, but the amount of time it would take to test every single variable in an email, you know, whether it's from the subject line to, you know, the, the style of image, you know, there's just no way that you could actually deliver without the benefit of these technologies. So it sounds like it's it's something that you're able to do all in one go. If you look back as you said, I mean, that's quite incredible to look back at a portfolio of email communications over a couple of years. And am I right in understanding then that you're coming up with a list of recommendations for those brands to basically say, okay, your trigger words are these, the style of imagery you need to use are these. So it's almost like a playbook for their email marketing, is it?
1: Exactly. I think it was very well summarized. (laughs)
0: Good. (laughs) I'm glad I followed.
1: (laughs) Well, I I must say as well is that we we really sort of encourage uh, testing and optimization. So everyone needs to continue to do that. So that's something that's very important for anyone doing email marketing. Um, But what we do is exactly what you say. Even without having a testing strategy, we can take all of your existing emails mm-hmm. and actually find the insight from all of them. Because as I said earlier, there are natural variants in messaging content in design yeah. and when you send the email. So, and what we then come with them is like a playbook. So a uh, good word for it because yeah. it, it shows them um. Examples like there are specific topics that when you write about them mm. has a better impact or a worse impact than other topics. And then what's interesting to do then is that uh, what, we, what we usually say is that when you find one answer, you get more questions. <laughs> you so, know,
0: that's, that's actually sometimes causes more confusion. So I hope you have a solution for that as yeah. well. Huh?
1: Uh, well, that's, I think that's actually good because it creates awareness. So if you find out a topic that's not doing well, yeah. then you're be why doesn't this topic do well? Yeah. Is it how we communicate? Is it how we're using images? Is it when we're sending the emails or is it uh, actually a topic that's not that of interest for mm. uh, our customers? Mm. Or perhaps it's the interest of a very, very small niche of our customer database so we need to segment these type of topics to a greater extent yeah and that's also how you're sort of learning how we're becoming better at doing email marketing i usually in my in my career i've, I've been working with email marketing since 2004 so almost 20 years yeah uh, and so i had one thing that said that um that i've done and to my team we said that we always need to test everything because it it's all about learning. and I said, I don't have a silver bullet to tell you this is how we're going to be extremely much more profitable. Uh, yeah. on, this is just gradually every day become a little bit better. Yeah. But imagine okay. now, actually what I can go back to customers and say is that I can, within a few weeks, generate three years of learning that yeah. you can get and then you can sort of put into your communications to increase the effect of your marketing it's yeah it's fantastic
0: totally so so the two that I've heard you mention so far and again hopefully I've got these correct first of all it seems conclusive that when you're using imagery that uh, pictures of women perform better pictures of smiling women perform even better and definitely no neutral faces so that seems to be important in terms of all of your analysis? Is that kind of a a good conclusion on the imagery side?
1: Well, I think you have to be very careful of generalization. Okay. So uh, here's sort of a heads up. And that's if you sort of try to Google best practices. Yeah. Be very careful of what you're reading because it depends. Different clients of us get Mm -hmm. different results. Okay. So we are not coming up with sort of an industry standard of this is exactly how we're going to do. The okay. example okay. that I had was for a client of us, it mm-hmm. was definite for them.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, it was significant. Okay. And I think that's important as well because it's a lot of sort of variation between industries, within industries, within different brands, yeah. etc. cetera. Yeah. And that's why, and that's actually the reason why we started doing this because. You could read, um, if you could read sort of advice online saying, you need to have a large image on your email. You need to use this type of text. And Mm -hmm. we were sort of asking ourselves questions about uh, is this correct? Is is this right? And what we now see is that uh, no, you can't say that this is how you're going to write your emails because it's Depends. You need to look at yourself, your brand, your okay. customers. As an yeah. example, and okay. I can take an, an example is that we, I can use one of our clients uh, which I used to work for, so this is used and which is uh, XSL. Okay. And the sports look,
0: retailer, yeah.
1: The sports retailer. So if you look at their emails, they are almost no content and text in them. Is images of Products with prices. Okay. And that works extremely well for them Mm. because their consumers, what they want is sort of a a summary of the best offers for that week. Okay. But within the same industry, sports industry still, Mm. you have others that see the opposite effect. That Actually, some of the consumers are interested in reading about the product Um, rather than just seeing uh, product and prices.
0: Interesting. Okay.
1: You will have differences, Uh, but uh, I guess uh, the the women and smiling is probably one of the more generic ones.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, it makes sense to me. Uh, Definitely. It feels like the kind of thing that I would respond to. So what else have you noticed then? Like, again, I know we're we're saying we can't generalize, but you have a lot of findings across all of this um, expertise. So what else um, interested you? You've already talked about the word weak um, and not to assume that that was a trigger word, but... I do think it's very interesting that there are trigger words as distinct from, you know, just, you know, a, a subject line, for example, which I, I guess is very easy to test. Um, and yeah. I think we, we've probably all done that. But trigger words is something that I guess probably does need the machine learning in terms of understanding and analyzing it, because I've never known trigger words to be something that would be easily measurable, certainly in anything that I've worked on.
1: No, uh, and that's right as well. So um, what I can also say is that a very important word that I think most within retail actually think about is that should I use save, should I use discount, uh, or are there other kind of similar words that I should be using in my service life? What mm-hmm. works? Yeah. Uh, and uh, this was done for a specific client. This time it was in Norway. Okay. But they... What we saw was a significant find that using the word "save" and then the amount had a negative correlation on um, the effect of the newsletter. So they should do others use discount, um, use the percentages, the amount, etc., rather mm-hmm. than using the word "save" because for some reason, and um, that doesn't. Um, do well with their customers in Norway. So that's sort of kind of interesting word. So mm. try to avoid using that one and find someone else as well uh, instead. Mm. Uh, but on the subject lines as well, just to sort of continuous sort of interesting information is that uh, we also saw um, quite a few actually of our clients have what we call low variation in subject lines. So what we then do is that we look at all the subject lines that have had for the last 30 days. Let me see. Mm -hmm. Have they had a similar subject line in the previous thirty days? Okay. And it doesn't have to be the same because you know the machine learning it understands the intention of the sentence. Okay. So even though you use kind of different words, Mm -hmm. uh, it um, it still say about the intention of the uh, the subject line is still the same. So it's small variation. But then the problem we then saw is that low variation gives lower opening rates. And sort of the reason for that is obviously that the consumer and the reader Mm -hmm. feels that he has seen this message before. So, you know, in your cluttered email box, you scroll through very quickly (laughs) all the emails that you get. And you think, ah, but I read this before. So you don't have to remember the words already in there, but sort of yeah, I got this type of message from this um from uh, this um company before. Okay. We don't open it. So actually what we saw was that uh, sort of in uh in relative numbers, it was 10% higher opening rate when they use subject line with variation. So Okay. Many people might think that ah, it's not that important to write the perfect subject line, is it? I can just do kind of similar what I did last week. Yeah. Maybe they finding it's like, ooh, you should definitely put some effort into your subject lines because that will have a huge impact. Uh, because you then look at the full funnel as well, if you don't open, you don't get a click, you don't get a visit to your website, you don't get that sale. Yeah. We all work for
0: and and what strikes me with that, actually, it reminds me of um, somebody on LinkedIn who um, I really do admire in terms of their content, but it was um, the same point, again, just in a different context. And this was particularly, I suppose, somebody, you know, I probably would kind of consider them a, an influencer, let's say. And what she was talking about was the importance of a surprising image. Mm -hmm. So I think particularly on LinkedIn, you know, we all see a lot of the same stuff and we see a lot of text and there's, I suppose, almost a formula now. But I think what I'm hearing with, I'm hearing you describing it as variation, but it's almost that there needs to be an element of surprise to cut through for them to go, oh, that looks interesting. What are they talking about? That's that's very different. Rather than because I do think everybody does realize the subject line is important. And um, so they definitely, I think we all put kind of work into it, but but writing a surprising subject line is not something that I've ever sat down to try and do. Um, so yeah, is it, am I right in understanding that one?
1: It's all about catching the attention of the reader. Uh, And that, uh, and then I think having sort of a surprise um, moment definitely help you. Um, We also say that you have approximately two seconds of getting the interest of the reader uh, in the newsletter. So, yeah. If you're thinking about two seconds, what should I write if someone has two seconds?
0: Totally. Yeah. Uh,
1: Then perhaps it makes a little bit more sense that sometimes if you, that you read it before you just scroll on you don't open it uh, yeah. if it catches your eye and say what is this? this this sounds interesting yeah then you engage
0: totally you're making me think about my podcast descriptions now Sandra I don't know how uh, how surprising I can make them <laughs> three times a week but it's certainly something I'm going to be much more aware of
1: yeah you Just uh, I sent you as well in the uh, I sent you a slide deck and I put the First email that I got from you yes, yeah. one
0: Yes for indeed
1: example, does it differ?
0: Yes uh,
1: or quite similar.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, I would definitely say from our perspective, we have extremely limited resources given that I'm pretty much doing almost everything. Thankfully now with uh, with two guys in the team supporting me, but yes, we, uh, we're, we're covering a lot. So um, we haven't got into the depth of analysis of uh, writing surprising email subject lines or podcast descriptions, but uh, I love to learn about it. And then the other piece that you talked about a lot is the simplicity of the content. And I guess for me, you know, when I think about how copywriters typically work, particularly in bigger companies, and you've talked about XSL, you've talked about Circle K. So I'm sure these are brands that do have, you know, brand guidelines that are very well established. So in my experience, the copywriters in companies like this, you know, it's probably a consistent style of copywriting that we would tend to use maybe across all channels. But it seems important from your work that actually it is simplified in terms of the email needs to be a little bit simpler if it's going to have a better effect. Is, is that, am I understanding that point correctly?
1: Yeah, I, I, well, I think it's at least what you need to do is that so you need to write at the level your customers are at.
0: Yeah.
1: And if you don't think about what I said earlier, is that they, you know that your customers and your consumers have limited time to spend yeah. on you. So it needs yeah. to sort of be quick and understandable mm-hmm. immediately. Okay. Um, but it's not as easy to say that simpler is better either. Uh, because if you go all the way down to very simple language, where you sort of say, okay, max going to have five words in a sentence and almost like a child book written, yeah. Yeah. Uh, then you're not going to hit the right level because then the consumers will write it, now they read it uh, and think it's not for me. Mm. So, uh, within there, actually, it's we see significant findings there as well. So you need to sort of find your level. So, But it is more, I would say, it's not child books, but it's more on on, a magazine level. Okay. So we tend to say that there are four different levels. You have child book, you have magazine, you have newspaper. Okay. And then you have a little sort of more professional writing. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Then keep it sort of on a magazine level. Uh, That seems to be be where most effective. So sometimes you write too simplistic, sometimes you read way too complex. Yeah. Find your right level of writing.
0: Yeah. And yeah, of course, the point is, it depends on the sector, of course, as well. And as you've already, you know, mentioned the the particular brand, but, you know, I'm a B2B marketer. So I'm certainly not going to write too simplistically, um, or even probably magazine style, because that to me feels like a, a consumer style of writing. But I know a lot of your clients are in the retail sector and again, your own career in in that. So that magazine style makes perfect sense. And I like that classification of the four different levels. So again, I need to sit down and think about my, my emails a lot more. Um, So much going on. So listen, um, there's obviously a lot of uh, opportunity for for people who are listening to really optimize their email performance. Um, As you said at the very beginning, Sandra, it's absolutely this case where it's the single most profitable opportunity I think that most brands have available. It almost sounds like, you know, once this channel has been explored and let's say optimized, I'm pretty sure you guys are going to be applying similar uh, expertise across other communication channels. Uh, Who knows whether it's social media or podcasts or who knows what in the future. So I'm um, super excited to hear that I suppose the role of communications in loyalty is getting this level of focus and expertise. And um, because you are the certainly the first company and the first agency that I've met that has really focused to this degree with an analytical skill set. Remind me how many analysts you have working there with you in the company, Sandra, because I know it's a big team of, of um very specific skills on the analytic side.
1: Yeah, I mean they are. Getting analytics these days and getting people like with the right background it is quite challenging. But we have of the senior team, it's 10
0: amazing extremely
1: good analysts. And it's not about just doing the analytical part, it's data handling, data monitoring. Yeah, all that part as well uh, to make this as effective as possible. So um, it's, a, it's a really great team. You know, I have just a short story on that. In my previous teams that I've been managing as well, I've been responsible for trying to also build up the inside teams, both for XSL and other yeah.
0: teams
1: as well. And I never understood how far I was from succeeding <laughs> until, <laughs> until I came here because I always thought like, okay, okay, we are a few people here now. We're doing analytics. We get a few new reports. Now I want to move over more into data science and understand more of predictability if I can sort of predict what's going to happen and I want to do more social science and understand why is it happening and why will it continue to be like this? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I never bridged that gap Uh, but that's because I never understood what it took until I came here and sort of see what these people (laughs) are able to do.
0: Yeah. And I think as well, your particular skill seems to be the storytelling side. So translating the, you know, big data analytics, um, all of these implications into something that's actually actionable. Because for me, research can sometimes end up leaving me with, okay, so now what do I do? Like, so, so, so what I really think is super important is to have that storytelling piece as well. So I know that's something that you pride yourself on, on something that you're able to translate it into something that's usable.
1: And I think that's something that everyone that works within loyalty has to master because loyalty is such a broad area of expertise that goes into loyalty marketing. Yeah, you need to do the storytelling. And uh, I learned that through through my 20 years is that when you need to have big organizations, you have hundreds and thousands of people that Mm -hmm. need to walk in one direction. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to deliver a very strong, good story that everyone believes in for sure so uh, yeah I can't underestimate the the sort of the value of storytelling
0: for sure for sure so listen Sandra, that's the um, that's all of the questions that I have for you today Um, was there anything else that you think is important for our audience that you want to mention before we wrap up
1: Uh, I think I'm really happy that you so quickly sort of understood so the that we're trying to do the value that we bring and also that you mentioned that through the communication channels that now we're doing emails but we can do social media and stuff like that as well because what we actually are looking into is what is the effect of messaging content what is the effect of the image that you're using yeah and think about that as well the machines they tell you what type of background color and and the color in front you should have on an image so it might say that you should have an image of someone in white on a brown background that mm. has a greater effect. Wow. And imagine then applying that to, as you said, social media posts, if it's uh, Instagram, if it's Facebook, mm. if it's Snapchat, wherever it is. Yeah. Uh, we all are affected by different things, uh, but they can be the same for many people but we don't know what they are until we can analyze it mm. so now we can amazing great and a little bit scary at the same time
0: <laughs> i was gonna say you're smiling i can see that you understand and enjoy the complexity of it and um, so again i love uh, working with people like you who can translate things into uh, into my language into marketing speak into consumer implications and insights as well that i can actually take action on So I I just want to thank you um, for for joining us, for reaching out to me. Um, I will, of course, make sure that we link to your profile in the show notes for this particular episode so people can connect with you there in Norway. So with that said, I want to say Sandro Vasas, partner at CPM Analytics. Thank you so much from Let's Talk loyalty.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was great fun.
0: This show is sponsored by The Wise Marketeer, the world's most popular source of loyalty marketing news, insights, and research. The Wise Marketeer also offers loyalty marketing training through its Loyalty Academy, which has already certified over 245 executives in 27 countries as certified loyalty marketing professionals. For more information, check out thewisemarketeer.com and loyaltyacademy.org. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like us to send you the latest shows each week, simply sign up for the Let's Talk Loyalty newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and we'll send our best episodes straight to your inbox. And don't forget that you can follow Let's Talk Loyalty on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And of course, we'd love for you to share your feedback and reviews. Thanks again for supporting the show.